0: It's, uh, well, we're out of Christmas time, I guess, now. But I probably have shared this before. But uh, it's kind of an important thing for me because, you know, when I was a little boy, I grew up, uh, my family was, uh, we had some interesting traditions, I guess. I mean, as far as birthdays go, we had nothing. We never had, I think I had one birthday party when I was five. Other than that, you didn't even get a cake. But it didn't bother you. It's just the way life was. But at Christmas time, my folks made more than up for it. I mean, they pulled all stops. Christmas was just glorious, glorious, glorious as far as kids and commercialism and materialism. We, it, was, we, it was a fun time for us. And we would look forward so much to Christmas Eve. It was just such a big, big thing. And my brother Matt and I, he's three years younger than I, we shared a room. And so in those weeks leading up, at night when we would go to bed, we would kind of get into each other's bed with our flashlight. We would make a plan. So you had to have a plan. And Christmas Eve, while we would get in there and see the all the stuff that the old gentleman brought us, and so we had it all figured. drew. The house is only 1,200 square feet, but we drew a little map. We needed one to figure out how to get from our our bedroom down to the where the Christmas tree was, and to to go down the hallway past my parents' room. And my parents left their doors open, and and they always would yell at us to make us go back to bed, so we had to be real quiet. And and our plan incorporated when we would stop off at the restroom, and who would plug in the Christmas tree, and and what time we would wake up my dad. It couldn't wake him up before six, and it was a bad deal if we did that. So we we had all this figured out. We knew who was bringing the pillows. We had it all figured out. We had it was our it was our plan. And Christmas Eve, the way, way this worked is we had underneath my bed stockpiled, you know, our flashlights and, and batteries, and I would set my little uh, uh, it Dallas Cowboys, uh, fancy that, uh, a <laughs> alarm clock, but I would set this in, in, in to 1 a.m. underneath my bed, and we would go to, it was just glorious. And the first year, this worked perfectly. Uh, but next year, what, what happened is I found myself waking up at like 6.30 in the morning. I'm going, what is the deal here? So I looked at my alarm clock, and it had been moved, and someone had turned the alarm off. And I thought, oh, my goodness, an enemy is among us. And I knew we would. We went to have all the toys and stuff, and there my father was just kind of smiling. I thought, oh, he's ruined Christmas never again. Oh, no. And so I planned all year for this. Next year, we had our maps, we had our our flashlights and batteries, and I set my alarm clock for 1 a.m., and I set it so my dad wouldn't have to reach very far for it. It was just right there. Uh, And then just before we went to sleep, I said, come on, Matt, let's go in the bathroom. So we went in the bathroom, we closed and locked the door, And we each drank 100 Dixie cups full of water. (laughs) My dad could not control this. Oh, no, 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 no. Plan worked ingeniously. And uh, still spoken of in here is family lore on a regular basis. My brother Matt and I always text back and forth about it at Christmas time. If you made your your map yet, you got your plan. But you got to have a plan, right? If in in fact you've got an enemy coming on, you got to have a plan. Now, something a little more serious uh, June 6, 1944, D-Day, General Dwight Eisenhower led the largest amphibian assault the world has ever seen. Uh, we had with this, they were trying to right, get rid of Nazi Germany's domination of France, of the Western world, in, in many respects, specifically Western Europe. This This training for this took about two years, the, the planning was full orb for six months. There was involved in this decoys. I mean, they had like blow up inflatable tanks that they kind of hid, but a little bit they let see just so the, the Nazis could notice. And, and they, they, the Nazis knew we were going to attack, but they didn't know from where and, and and when. And so they had the decoys. They had spies going on. They had all the branches of the military, of us and all of our allies. That, that day, there were 11,000 aircraft involved in that one uh, assault. There were 5,300 ships involved in that one uh, assault. There were 50,000 vehicles involved in that assault, 175,000 troops in that one assault. And it was a very costly deal on, on every level, but yet it came with success. Now, they could have just hoped that Hitler would have gone away. They could have just hoped, I guess, that Germany would just say, you know what, we're tired of this, and and left. But they knew that wasn't going to happen. If you're in warfare with an enemy, you better have a plan if you hope to win. You just better have a plan. Well, 2019, you and I are in warfare just so we know. Uh, 1 Peter 5.8, Peter makes it real clear. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, that's your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's, that's Christians written to. He's out to get us. Satan has a plan for you 2019. I don't know if you know that. Uh, Paul is going to get a little bit more elaborate with that. In Ephesians 6, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes or the plans of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Many commentators believe that what Paul's laying out here with all these different words, you know, rulers and authorities and cosmic, is this is hell's hierarchy. That Satan is relatively well organized. That he knows the weakness His plan is not flippant. It's well thought out. And it's after you and I in 2019, if scripture's true, which I'm going to assume it is. But it's not, doesn't end there. This is like an incredible conspiracy because scripture lets us know that the entire world all of the culture all is underneath the control or the leadership of the prince of the ruler of the air, a.k.a. Satan, which means there are no cultures in this world that are faith-friendly, and some of them different degrees. And we've watched our own culture the last 75 years go from from pro-Christian to hostile to a Christian, there's no culture that's, that's going to work with us as far as our faith, but yet it gets even worse. You've got not, not just hell and not that the ganging up with the world, but according to Paul, Romans 7, Jeremiah 17, 9, um, Paul refers to it as our, our flesh, but it's our, our vestiges left over from our B.C. days. It's that something inside us that just kind of likes wickedness and evil and disobedience and self sometimes. And so that, that, that something is, is propensity toward darkness. And then you're getting that up with, with Satan in the world, and it's like you're thinking, you know, might as well raise the white flag now, man. We're going to get killed. We don't stand a chance with this. And, of course, greater is he who's in us than he who's in this world. But you need, you, you need, you need to know that it goes uh, beyond that. You, you need a plan. You need a plan. You know, know, most folk, Christians, who are going to lose the battle here, it's not going to be because they lack biblical information. Usually not. Usually not. Bad theology. If if you're not going to move forward, spiritual advancement, usually the issue is you haven't planned to. You just haven't planned to. We're busy people. We got a lot of stuff in our lives. We don't have time for another plan. Sounds like stuff I got. Do. I just don't have time for that. Thank you. Very much. We just don't have time for for that. Uh, it seems to me that we are people who give a specific plan for our career advancement. We have a specific plan for our, our our finances and retirement. We have a specific plan for our hobbies. We have specific plans for family reunions and stuff. But a specific plan for for our our spiritual well being. Ah. That's just something we'll let the Holy Spirit take care of. We just don't. We're not. We don't need to do anything with that, right? Right. Issue is if we, with, without a doable plan, we will live lives of uh, distraction. We will live lives of, of discouragement. You know, we will. I'm guessing that most of us in here would scream out loud. I want to grow spiritually, but without a plan. What will happen is our faith faith will remain anemic. We're not going to see a whole lot of progress. We just just won't do it. Our lives will be lived 2019 scattered. Lots of stuff. Just nothing strategic. Our our lives will be lived reactionary. You, You know what I mean? As we go through life, this thing hits us, we respond to that, and then this, we respond to that, and this. And so we're just going through life responding to everything that's coming at us. So what's dictating our life? everything out there we're just we just we're just responding we're going to live 2019 in a state of despair because at night when you go to bed and you're exhausted and you're worn out and you're going i wonder if i co- accomplished anything today if today was the way it was supposed to be without a plan we uh, we, we 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 lose and so uh, here's 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 our goal for, for this next series is for us to develop a plan for two thousand and nineteen a plan that that understands who, i mean plans may look a little bit different it 's not one size fits all because everyone 's got their own limitations right schedule and everything else i mean wasn 't it Clint Eastwood, the, the theologian in dirty Harry he said a man 's got to know his limitations right, and so you've got to know what my what my boundaries are, but understanding who they what they are and understanding the biblical perspective and what God would have, I am confident that you and I can develop a plan and we can have a plan for spiritual advancement and soul nurturing and um, spiritual maturation. This year, 2019, can be a a year where we grow spiritually, where we grow up spiritually, not by accident, not if it just something happens, but but intentionally planned out. But you've got to have a plan. Now, if I asked you, I gave out little pieces of paper, and I said, okay, based on the last three months of your life, what is your plan for spiritual advancement? Don't, don't write this what you want it to be or what ideally it should be. For the last three months, looking back, what has been your plan for spiritual advancement? Again, okay, no, no despair, because the goal is at the end of three months, if we do this, you'll have it down. You'll write it out. Okay, I know what I'm supposed to do, when I'm supposed to be. With this thing. So, what we want to do this morning is we want to set the groundwork for this. Is this even biblical? Do we even have to have a plan for crying out loud? Is, is, this, is this what scripture would dictate for us? So, we're going, to, we're going to lay some foundation for this developing a plan over the next few weeks. So, if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to 1 Timothy 4, if you've got your device, uh, turn on to 1 Timothy 4. Don't go to 2 Timothy 4. Now, it's a good, good chapter and all, but uh, it's not where we're going to be. Okay, 1 Timothy 4. And we're going to start in verse, in verse 7. It says, I have nothing to do with irre- irreverent, not irrelevant, irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for Godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. See, this is our goal, right? Godliness. Godliness. Now, what is, what is godliness? That's a church word, right? Some things godliness is not. Godliness is not justification, salvation, being born again, redemption. Those are all words we kind of throw together to mean the same thing. At some point in your life, you, if you're a Christian, you've come to a place where you realized that your only hope was in Christ and his fact that he died in your place. He died in your place on the cross. He shed his blood for your sins, and so you've uh, repented of your sin. You've given your life to him. Lights have come on. Scripture says you're born again. You're new. All things are new. That's justification. Okay, it's a one-time event in, in history that's set. This is not, this is not that. Okay, I'm see. Timothy is the pastor of Paul's flagship church. I'm assuming that Timothy's already saved, right? We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're going to assume that. So this is not that. This is godliness is. We think, boy, that doesn't sound fun. That sounds you know like monkish type stuff. That's like living out in a desert and a perpetual vow of chastity and wearing drab clothing. And this just is life with no fun. That's that's not. It's not godliness. Just so you know, that's not. That's not godliness. The World would want you to think that's not godliness. Satan would want you—that's part of his plan. That's not godliness. Um, we think, well, godliness—I guess it's a big, long list of rules. I see where this series is going. I got to pray more. I got to read my Bible more. I got to go to church more. I got to serve more. I got—yeah—all of those things, just a big, old, long list of stuff to do. That is not godliness. Now, some of those things may be part of the plan. But you you need to know. I hope you understand that Apostle Paul came out of Judaism. Remember, he's trying to live out those Ten Laws, all the whole six hundred and forty laws. He is tired of lists of stuff you got to do, and so this is not that. The godliness is is different. Some of that, again, some of that stuff might be the path there, but godliness is is the goal. Godliness speaks of your relationship with God. It is it is the vertical. We live our life horizontally, all this stuff we've got to do. But 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 godliness is vertical. It's all about relationship. It's getting closer to him. It's knowing him better. It's understanding him more. Now, 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 I know some folks say, well, maybe they don't say out loud, but they say or they think anyway that, you know, hey, I'm a veteran believer. Uh, I've got this godliness thing down. I'm mean, not perfect, but I got it pretty much. Post. I got. I'm, I'm, this is this is like a newbie thing. This is for this is for new people. See, this is not for this is not for me. Let me tell you something that everybody who's close to you knows, but they'll never share with you. Right, And they won't share it with you because they don't want to upset the apple cart because they don't want you turning on them because they don't want you to go get the pouty face thing going on because they want to ride home. They're not going to share this with you. But this is what everybody who knows you well knows about you. You are in desperate need for godliness. You are in desperate need for godliness. Godliness is a, is a kind of a crazy thing because the more you get it, the more empty you feel of it. 1 Corinthians 15.9, Paul writes this when he's uh, probably 55 A.D. and says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He's the least of all the spiritual leaders because he keeps thinking back about these things that he did way back when in his B.C. days. They're haunting him. He's the least of these, still a spiritual leader, but just the least of them. Five years later, five years of sanctification later, Ephesians 3, 8, he says this, I am the very least of all the saints, not just the spiritual leaders. I mean, everybody, everybody who claims to be a Christian, I am the least of them. Several years of sanctification later, 1 Timothy 1, 15, says Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief, I am the foremost, I am the most broken. I am the biggest loser. I fail more than the rest. I have screwed up more than anybody. If somebody needs God's grace, it is me more than anybody else. You know, it's, it's interesting. Hunger and thirst. Physically, when I hunger and thirst and then I eat, right, that is abated. But spiritually, when I hunger and thirst and I satisfy it biblically, I end up hungering more. When I, when I hunger and thirst and I don't eat, I get more hungry and more thirsty. But spiritually, if I hunger and thirst after him and I don't seek to fulfill that, you know what happens? I become less hungry. And so we ignore and ignore and we just, we're thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm doing okay here. If you're thinking you're doing okay here, that's the greatest, that's a very scary sign. It's the greatest sign that you are definitely not. Doing okay here. So Paul says the goal for you, for I, is godliness. And this is this is the reason why, uh, not just because it's a cool thing. He says because godliness has value in every way. It holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It's just, this is interesting that. This is written to to Timothy. Now, Now, just work with me for a minute, because Timothy's the pastor of the church of Ephesus. Now, the church of Ephesus, there's probably no greater church in the ancient world than the church of Ephesus. Ephesus was the Apostle Paul's headquarters for his European and his Asian work. Uh, Ephesus was the flagship. He spent, uh, Acts 19, he spends almost the entire third missionary journey just planting Ephesus and discipling Ephesus. He's there longer than he is at any other place. Ephesus throughout scripture is pretty huge because Paul writes them a letter, right? The church of the Ephesians, written for Ephesus. Jesus writes Ephesus a letter, Ephesian church a letter. It's called the book of Revelation. It's one of seven recipients. Paul writes the pastor Timothy 1st and 2nd Timothy he's the pastor of Ephesus Ephesus is really all over the New Testament it's a big place you would think that Paul would choose the most godly person to be the, the, the pastor there and yet celebrity pastor Timothy Paul says you, you Timothy most important thing you need to do train yourself for godliness now you read 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, here's a couple of things you learn. You learn that Timothy is facing demonic activity. Timothy is, is over Paul's headquarter church, flagship church, all kinds of pressure. There are some older people in this church that are giving Timothy grief because he's young. There are some sophisticated intellectual people in this church that are trying to undermine Timothy's teaching. Everybody in his church is first generation believers coming out of a cult. They're coming out of out of paganism. They're coming out of idolatry and incredible immorality. And they're bringing their scars and all their junk and their stuff and their temptations with them. And and Timothy is just a, a, a man. So he's got his own temptations. And according to first and second, he Timothy's got his own insecurities and his own kind of fears. And Paul this is so cool because Paul is saying, Timothy. You got pressure, you got demonic stuff. This is how you got to deal with it. Train yourself for godliness. You have demonic stuff in your life. You have pressure, you have hostile folk. You you, you have troubling insecurities and fears and maybe you feel like you're going back. You know what you need to do? Paul's word to you and I, same word as he gave to Timothy. Train yourself to be godly. That's the that's the solution. It's not because the closer you get to, to God. Um, it doesn't mean that suddenly Satan decides to quit and give up and he goes away. No, it doesn't mean that the hostile people all walk away because that's certainly not the case. It doesn't mean that all your problems leave and your pressures leave. And even doesn't even mean your own insecurities go away. But it does mean that you now have the fortitude to deal with them. You have his wisdom in order to see them through his eyes. You have the word that sustains the worry. You have the ability to take them on that you didn't have before. Uh, godliness it's like a uh, light bulb on a dimmer switch but there's no ceiling on the dimmer switch so you can just keep turning this baby up and the bulb keeps getting brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter this is godliness we can know him more we can understand him more fully i'm pretty convinced how about this? I'm kind of working off a of D.L. Moody's spline here a little bit, but I don't think the world has yet to see a man or woman who knows him as well as they could. We could be such people, and as you, you are, the rest of your issues are dealt with. I think uh, we find this in, where is it? Right in verse 8, where it says that uh, godliness has value in every way. It holds promise of the present life and also the life to come. I've done uh, three dozen, four dozen weddings. I don't even know how many I've done. Maybe 50. And I think I've always said this every wedding. I look at the groom guy and say, you know, do do you like her? Are you interested in her? Because if you are, the absolute best thing you can do for her, best thing is to make your number one pursuit godliness. And girl, you, you like this guy? You really, If you really care about this relationship, you care about the relationship, then the most important thing you can do is to pursue godliness. Because if both of you are pursuing godliness, I know this much, 25 years from now, you will still be married to each other and you will be deeply in love and you will understand the love of Christ has for the church in ways that a lot of people don't. If you both make that your number one pursuit. Pursue, pursue. Godliness, that's, that's Paul's plan for us th- this year. That, that's the make a plan. Train yourself for godliness. Well, what, how does that plan look? What are the different pieces to the plan? Again, we'll talk about that more in the future, but let me mention just a couple pieces of the essence of this plan. Real important. It says train yourself for godliness. You know, that, that word train, interesting word. You can look up that word in any lexicon. Any lexicon in its primary meaning is to exercise naked. Yeah, it doesn't mean exercise partially clad, to exercise fully clothed. No, 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 to exercise naked. You go, what culture even has such a word? Suddenly the message got exciting, right? Some of y'all suddenly waking up. Whoa, let's hear about this. What's this naked thing going on? What's he mean by this? Why, why, Why would the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit didn't have to choose this word. There are other terms he could have used. Why did he pick this word? Well, well, Ephesus, good Greek city. Every Greek city has a gymnasium. It's where we get, get this word to train. It's gumazo. It's and every young man, like young guys today, right, are really excited about sports. They're going to work out. They're going to they're going to do all the sports stuff. They're like, well, it's like that on steroids in the Greek culture. And the young men, from 14 to 17, would usually go to the the gymnasium and they would train, but their their training was was with this in mind. They were going to go to the Olympics. They were going to go to the Isthmus Games, which started back at this point they were going on because there was no greater honor than winning in the Olympics. No greater honor. That's what it was all about. And so when they went to the gymnasium, they would train the same way they would compete. That is in the raw, nude, naked, and it's not, there was no perverted thing going on. This was the, the thought. The thought was, I am so committed to the goal that I don't want to have anything on me that's going to slow me down. There's going to be nothing that, that, that stops me or nothing that some opponent can, can grab and pull me back and slow me down. I am going to be 100% given to the goal no matter what it takes. Why do you think the Holy Spirit chose this word? Everything else is Secondary. The only thing that counts, the only thing that matters, the primary thing is, is the goal. That's the word. Holy Spirit chose. Because Paul's saying, this plan that you develop, you just need to know this. If this is just going to be an add-on, man, if this is just going to be, I'm doing all these things, and yeah, you know, I'll do something over here too. Forget it, because it's not going to, might as well stop now. It's not going to work. You have to exercise naked. You, know, you have to be 100%. This is my goal. Godliness, everything else, I've got other things, but they're secondary. This is my goal. No obstacles. I'm going to accomplish this no matter what. Paul's saying, okay, that's the right mindset. now, There's hope. There's hope. So he's asking for 100% commitment. It's it's interesting. He talks about this in verse verse 10. Look what he he says. I've got got, got 7 and 10. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For to this end, and so this end is godliness. For to this end, we toil and strive. I wish so much that I could say godliness is just listen to this podcast. Just take this pill. Just, and it will be, we are fast food, microwave type people. We want it simple and easy. We don't want to have to sweat. But Paul says, oh, no, no, not with this plan. Not if you want godliness. You know what I'm saying? It is, it is toil. Uh, the word for, for striving, interesting word. Ago, listen to this word, agonizomai, right? It's agony. That's our agony word. It says you want to get there? You really committed to the plan? Agony. You still committed? You really want it? How bad do you want it? Because that's what it's going to take. Because you got to know. You start the plan. That everything's going to be coming at you from the back to try to, to challenge that. And in your, your allegiance to it will be tested. So if you're not committed. Another aspect of this word to train. Interesting is the word is uh, in the present tense which which means here that it, you just got to be consistent you got to continuously do it continuously do it continuously consistency is the key to to everything right it's definitely the key to the search for godliness according to the holy spirit you got to you got to make your plan and then you got to continuously strive for it it's not over till we're at the gates of heaven it's it's it, it's not over so the, the different pieces. Let's just I'm just gonna mention one one piece and it's right in verse seven, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train you gotta see you gotta do something before you get the plan rolling. Uh let's just say you want to, to do a freshwater aquarium. Right, And so you plan out your fish and your rocks and your filter and the little cute little cavey things in there. And you get it all figured out. And then you go purchase your fish. Well, you take your aquarium and you, you fill it with, with tap water. And then you sit there and you dump your fish all in there. Well, you know what? 24 hours, your fish are all belly up. They're all dead. Because your tap water is filled with chlorine, which is toxic for aquatic life. And, you know, you can keep putting more and more and more fish, but as long as the chlorine is in there, it's going to kill it. And what Paul's saying is before you start coming up with this plan, you're going to add stuff, you just, how, is, is the environment toxic? Because there might be stuff you need to get rid of. You need to weed the garden first because if, if you don't, the environment's toxic. There's no plan that's going to work. If you've if you got some stuff going on that shouldn't be going on, you know, you can add all the stuff in the world you want to add, and it's not going to do anything. So, so interesting. He says, um, "Irreverent or silly myths." Uh, the the silly myths thing—that's just kind of useless stuff, right? I—I I kick myself sometimes. How much time I waste with useless, It's stupid. It's just—it's not bad. It's not good. It's just stupid stuff, useless stuff. He said, "Don't, uh, have nothing to do with that." No. Sometimes good things take. is not good things that the greatest enemy of the best doesn't it say? Doesn't he say bodily training is of some value? There's nothing. He says bodily training is good exercise. Get healthy. Yes, that's got some value. He says, but if you've got all kinds of time for your plan for bodily exercise, and you've got all kinds of time for your plan for hobbies, and you've got all kinds of time for your plan for work, but you don't have any time for your plan for spiritual advancement. He says, you got your values all mixed up because the godliness is the greatest thing. It, it helps you here, but it helps you beyond. It's the greatest. It's the greatest thing. I was at uh, Moody. We had to do something. When, I don't know if you still do this, but you had to do it when I was there. They called it PCWPCM, Practical Christian Ministry. Basically, they assigned you something you had to do every single week, whether it was go to a mission or go to a Sunday school class and teach or go do street witnessing. They had something you had to do. Well, one of my semesters, Cheryl and I, we got teamed up. We had to go to this glitzy senior living apartment complex. I mean, this this is 70 stories. This is a big, big, huge building. And we were assigned a gal named Mabel. Now, Mabel had to be like 110 years old. I I don't know, but she was was up there. And Mabel, our job was whatever Mabel wanted us to do. She wanted us to clean her apartment. That was cool. She wanted us to go to the store for her or take her to the store or have coffee with whatever she wanted. We were there to do. Mabel was a, a collector of junk, though. Mabel collected three things that were really unique. She collected paper. This was... I don't think she called them a collection, but paper sacks. I believe she had every single paper sack she'd ever come across in her 110-year life. So she had a gazillion paper sacks, all, all sizes, just everywhere. I mean, th- there were thousands of these paper sacks all over. She had one whole bedroom filled with these paper sacks. And when you suggested to Mabel, could we like throw several hundred thousand of these away? You'd still have plenty. She was upset. No, I might need these well, you're 110, you really need, all right, all right. That's cool, that's fine. She also collected cereal boxes for whatever reason. Now, she took the plastic thing, she threw it away that had the cereal in it, but she held the box. We had thousands of boxes. She must have gone up and down her high-rise collecting them from everybody because she had every cereal you can imagine, every box, she just, tons of them, hundreds, thousands of these boxes. And I remember, Mabel, do you need all these boxes? Yes, well, well, why? Well, I, I don't know, but someday I might need them. Well, can we, like, just put them in the bags? No, 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 I need these. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right that's fine. She also collected envelopes. Even they've been opened and they've been canceled. She collected. She didn't throw all these things away. We had thousands, of every size. I don't know what kind of paper fetish this woman had, but she had it bad. She had it really bad. Now, Maple was, you need to know, a Christian. You sat down and talked with her. You know what? She knew her word and she she would share scripture clearly and, and mabel understood uh political uh climate of the world she could talk through philosophy stuff mabel was a sharp woman she wasn't crazy mabel was also very well to do this this building we we're in was pretty ritzy but you could also just tell from how she dressed and everything else that she was she was doing all right so Mabel was not crazy. Mabel just had her life filled with clutter. She wasted so much of her life on useless things. Or some of the stuff, I suppose, could have been used, but uh, t- too much. She wasted her life. I wonder for us. You know, we have our things that we do. And if you ever suggest that we cut it out, it's like, oh, no, no, I need this. No, 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 no. It's, it's waste. It's cluttered. And Paul says, have nothing to do with that. Listen, there's only so much time. You can't have, can't do it all, right? You can't have a plan for godliness and waste all your time in so many other ways. So get rid of the clutter. Weed the garden. Get rid of the clutter. Of course, there are those things that are are bad things. Now, now... uh, 2 Corinthians 6, Paul re- refers to this. He says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, we push this as marriage. This, really, the text has nothing to do with marriage. It applies to it, but he's talking about idolatry. For what partnership has righteousness with Lawlessness. Or what fellowship has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, because who you are. Go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Of course, this is all over Scripture. you got Psalm 1, right? Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Colossians 3, he's saying, put off. put off. You get, you get all the time, put off these bad things. He's saying here, you need to weed the garden. Some of these things. We're kind of like Peter we need Jesus to wash our feet. We've been redeemed, but as we lived life, we've picked up things. I'll tell you, I hate weeding the garden. You've uh, you got the landscaping around the house. I, I, if I had to do this again, it would all be rocks because not a lot of weeds grow up in the rocks. But when you use the chip things, there's weeds everywhere. And you go out there and you pull all the weeds and they stay hurt and you get rid of them. And you know what? The next week, they're there again. You have to keep at it. Weeding the garden. Sometime, not saying that any of us are, are like rolling in, in, in major sin here, but let's face it, as we go through life, weeds pop up in our soul. Weeds pop up in our soul. There are some things that maybe are, are bad, you know, the irreverent things that work against your, your godliness. Uh, so let me just... There's a bazillion of these things. Let me just mention. Maybe your phone, maybe that needs, garden needs to be weeded out a little bit. You know, the average American three, three hours, almost three hours a day on his phone. That's twenty hours a week. It blows my mind. In a, in a month, that's that's equivalent of two weeks of full time work a month on the phone. Now maybe you're doing all godliness stuff on the phone, so that's that's all right. Gaming. Now again, not a, not fighting gaming, but but uh, if, if let's just assume that the game is got a it's relatively moral for a moment. But sometimes too much, we can go at it and go at it and go at it. And it's sucked in. It's too much television. I'm okay with. I like to watch a little television. But 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 maybe you're finding that yeah, your television usage maybe it's just kind of moving up the scale. It's beyond what it ought to be. Maybe maybe it's the Music we're listening to. No, hang on, don't fight me, don't push, just answer yourself, just listen to me for a second. The terms, the words, the lyrics, maybe they're stuff that Jesus came to die for, stuff that's not going to help your your godliness. Maybe maybe as you look at your life, 2019, maybe you've picked up some associations, some relationships, good people, good people, but you know what? Their value system is not necessarily what a believer should be, and so they're saying things around you you're finding yourself saying such things they're taking you to places that are not dens of iniquity per se but they're not helping you spiritually at all matter of fact temptations are coming with that time to weed the garden maybe maybe you're finding yourself flirting you never say that you're flirting with someone you shouldn't be flirting with you just ba- just just banter right just kind of fun texting back and forth to to each other and and nobody else knows ab- about it maybe you find yourself there time to weed the garden maybe there are just things going on you, you, i'm not this is not a, a prohibition message But maybe you never used to drink, but you're finding yourself drinking. And maybe the Bible doesn't say alcohol is a sin. It say drunkenness is a sin. And maybe as you look back, you're saying, you know what? Yeah, I probably had a few too many more often than I should, which is ever. Time to weed the garden. Because as long as we're entertaining stuff that's going to fight against, it's not a legalism thing. You just ask yourself, will this fight against my goal? If my goal is to know him, if your goal is just to have fun and goof around, then don't worry about this. But if your goal is to know him, you say, okay, what fights against it? Time to weed the garden. So let me ask, as you think through, this, this is for everybody, it's for me. Do you need to weed? Yeah. What do you need to weed? And let me just say this real quick. Because perhaps you've gotten into the Internet pornography stuff. You've gotten into something that, you know what, you can't get out of real easy. It has trapped you, and you wish you could, and the tears have been there and all this stuff, but you're still stuck, let me tell you. If your goal is is godliness, then you need to get rid of that no matter what. And so I would encourage you, give the church a call. We've got some counselor people that you might need to see you might be so stuck you need someone to help get you out who's been down that been down that road there's no cost too high if our goal is if our goal is god godliness would you would you pray with me god uh, satan's strategies are incredibly subtle and incredibly effective and we can be so clueless sometimes and fall and get stuck, and and, and maybe even fertilize the weeds in our life. I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters here. God, would you open our eyes? Would Would you show us our sin? Give us the courage. We know we'll need your power, Holy Spirit. Would you give us the courage to deal with it as we ought? That at the end of 2019, oh, Lord, may we know you more. May we know you so much better than we do now. I would pray that that would be so. What you would do with a church filled with folk to burn bright for you. I would pray that FAC would be that place. where it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.